0: You can be seated this morning. I was back and forth on whether or not I wanted to stand or sit down, but I'm I'm currently going through ankle rehab, so I thought I'd take it easy. All props to (laughs) to Daniel. (laughs) One thing, hey, right now, he's taking applications. If anyone wants to learn how to play soccer, go talk to Daniel. He will create an entire league just for you to learn how to play soccer. Just don't play with him, because you'll play the best of the best, and, and yeah, it'll be good. Um, <laughs> anyways, who brought their Bibles this morning? Who has their Bibles? Let me see your Bible. Let me see your Bible. OK. You better have brought it, because we're going to be turning through the scriptures. How many of you know that the best teacher is the Holy Spirit, and he doesn't teach us anything apart from the scriptures. Well, I've been um, just really going throughout this week with a heavy burden in my heart, because what we're talking about this morning is very near to the heart of the Lord. Um, And it's, it's essentially why he came. And it's seeing Jesus, but not just seeing him, knowing Him and being joined with Him. And so I want to talk this morning on the suffering of Jesus, having fellowship with Him in His sufferings. And so I hope that you came ready um, because I'm trembling even now as I'm speaking. I I, I feel the, the, the fear of the Lord on this topic because it is so near and dear to His heart. And it's something that he has invited every single one of us into. And it's common to look at Jesus. I just want to address this first. It's common to look at Jesus and to want the resurrection life. And it's beautiful. The resurrection life is amazing because we've been made new. We've been made new through Jesus, through his sacrifice, through his resurrection. But the side of Jesus that I don't hear very many people want is the side of his sufferings. And that is actually of paramount importance when you want the resurrection life. Because if you want the resurrection, that only means one thing. You're dead. You can't be resurrected if you're already alive to the things of the world. You can only be resurrected when you die. And that's why here in in vision, you may have heard us many times use this vernacular, and I just kind of want to bring clarity. When we use this, what do we mean when we say this? And you've heard us say it before, and it's we want to die to ourselves. We want to die to ourselves. And what that means is we want to be joined with Jesus in his sufferings. Died to ourselves means we lay off our opinions, we lay off our um, ways of thinking, we throw off what has been normal to us in our everyday lives, and instead we take on the normal life of Jesus, which is meant to be the normal Christian life. But we've sold, we, we have sold ourselves short because we haven't desired the sufferings of Jesus. We have desired his miracles. And the miracles are wonderful. I don't want us to get into the mindset of thinking, well, I can't, you know, desire breakthrough financially, or I can't desire. You know, um, I I can't desire healing, or I can't desire uh, the gifts of the Spirit. We've been spending the whole last month teaching on these things. They're wonderful. And they're the Lord's design for the Christian life. But he never wants you to desire it over him, over every part of him. Okay? And so we're going to focus on the sufferings of Jesus and how to have fellowship with him in his sufferings. And so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 53, And I want us to, first of all, look at why er, what is Jesus known as? Who is he known as? This part of his nature, this part of his character. Because how many of y'all want the Lord just to be himself? It's not a trick question. I don't want Jesus to be who I want him to be. I want him to come into the room, and I want him to be himself. You know when you step into an environment and you feel kind of like, Maybe it's pressure by other people, or it's a pressure that you put on yourself that you need to try and be someone else. Well, I'll say it this way. May we never be that church where the Lord comes and he feels like he can't be himself. If we want him to be himself, that means he'll move in ways that very many times may even offend your personal theology. Which is why when you look at Jesus and you fall in love with Jesus, you fall in love with the one who does miracles and the one who bleeds and dies and the one who is resurrected and the one who is coming back shining in glorious splendor. When you fall in love with that Jesus, what happens now is he can be himself. He can be himself. So let's just step into this. Why is Jesus known as the suffering Savior? Well, in Isaiah chapter 53, we're going to be reading in verse 3. And pretty much all of these these will be in the English standard ESV. <laughs> um, so anyways, Isaiah 53.3, what I love about this is this is prophetic, a prophetic vision that Isaiah has of the Lord. So this is before Jesus has even... This is before his incarnation. What is his incarnation? God puts on a body, the incarnation of Jesus. And it's a beautiful, beautiful study. But I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about his sufferings. However, before Jesus puts on a body, this is already being said about who he is, Okay, So he hasn't physically gone to the cross. But it already says this, and it says right here in Isaiah 53, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And I want to focus on that second line, those first four words of the second line, a man of sorrows. How many of you all know the scripture that says before the foundations of the world, he was crucified? Or in other words, it says he was crucified before the foundations of the world. So it was already in the Father's divine design for Jesus to be crucified. He already was before the foundations of the world in the heart of the Father. And so when we read here, that's how in Isaiah 53, through prophecy, it can come out that he is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and it's also saying, through Jesus being a man of sorrows, that the sins of the world hurt him. So may God, as just this, 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 this man that's behind bulletproof glass and nothing affects him, your sin hurts the heart of the Lord. Can we agree on that? That when you sin, it hurts the heart of the Lord, and that's why how to be free from sin is to fall in love with him, because when you fall in love with him, you don't want to hurt him, but if you're not in love with him, you don't care if you hurt him or not, and so it's all about coming to this place of relationship, of recognizing, okay, he and Isaiah 53 is being prophesied of and spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, he is a man of sorrows. And let me show you, because sometimes we think of Old Testament and we think, well, if anybody did something the Lord didn't like, he just killed him. But what we see here, look at Noah. In the days of Noah, mankind was walking in wickedness and it said that it hurt the heart of the Lord so much so that he regretted even making man. That sounds like sorrow. That sounds like suffering. When you create And your very creation longs to do everything within its power to hurt you. And so I just want us to have this picture. I know this may seem heavy, but I I want you to know that there's hope and there's love this morning because of Jesus. Before then, we could not be, we could not know God in this way, but now we have been brought to this beautiful place of the Lord not just saying, Look at my sufferings, but He's saying, be connected to me in them, so that 's in isaiah 53 three and so we need to know how to die to ourselves and I think the best way is to look at those who came before us how did they live how did they walk and one of my favorite scriptures let 's take our Bibles and let 's turn to first Corinthians first Corinthians chapter two and When we seek the Lord, when we look at the Lord, he helps keep us focused on the right things. He keeps us prioritizing what is necessary, looking at him. And the moment we take our eyes off of him, everything goes out of whack. And so if you're here this morning and you're struggling in any area, look to Jesus. Don't come to a church helping for a program. Because I guarantee you, our program is this. Our program is the scriptures. I know for a fact, if you come and ask me, or if you come and ask Pastor Phil, you know, and and you're having issues or anything like that, I guarantee you, one of our first questions will be, how is your time with the Lord? How is your time getting alone with Jesus? Are you allowing him to form you and fashion you? Or are you trying to form and fashion yourself? So anyways, <laughs> let's just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be reading in verse 2. This is Paul, the apostle, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This man started out as the most educated, the most uh, just sharpest mind theologically of his day, of his time. And he thought himself to be so right that killing Christians was a rational Decision. It was the best decision because we needed, he needed to cleanse the world of Christianity. Then he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. And we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul writes and he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, and here's the catch, and him crucified. So Paul the most, the the, the sharpest mind of his day is saying, I determined to know Jesus. We all can agree with that. We want to know Jesus. But Paul took it a step further. He said, and him crucified. He didn't say, and him resurrected. He said, and him crucified. Just a little shameless plug here. Zoe, what hoodie are you wearing? Boom, she's wearing the new church merch. If you don't have one, go get one. They're nice. They're in the lobby. Anyways, shameless plug. We put that on the hoodie not because it's uh, a popular phrase nowadays, because the church, it's, it's, it's funny. It's like something may not seem cool until you start hearing it used all the time and you see pastors preaching it on social media and you go to conferences and you hear the term thrown around and now all of a sudden you're like, yeah, Christ crucified. You know, let's go. But then you step back and it's like, do you understand like, what you're saying when you want to know Jesus Christ and him crucified? You're saying, nail me to the cross. Yeah. <laughs> like, kill me now, basically. Like, I'll go. When you answer the Great Commission, you're saying, I want to die. I want to forsake all, I don't want to follow him. And then people put you in opportunities and areas to die and you're like, that's inconvenient, bro. You know, (laughs) like that's not not how I thought I was going to go out. You know, like I thought it was going to be a little more glorious, like go down in a blaze of glory, you know. But no, the Lord is saying, when you say Christ crucified, when you're saying, I want to know above everything else, Jesus and him on the tree. I want to know his sufferings. I want to know why he suffered. I want to know how he suffered. I want to know everything that I can because Paul was married to the Lord. And as a bride is joined to her husband, if the husband is struggling, the wife is one with the husband. So it's not his problem, it's their problem. And so, I'm not married, so I'm looking at the married couples being like, am I right? (laughs) But, But anyways, so with the Lord, when he is suffering and sorrowful about something, we are sorrowful and suffering about something. I heard this question posed a couple weeks ago, and I've been praying and asking for the Lord to give me compassion for people. And the question was this, when was the last time you wept for people? When was the last time you were moved with compassion for people? Because that's the heart of the Lord. Jesus didn't die because he thought it was a good idea. He died because of people. He came to seek and to save those that were lost. And so when was the last time that you wept over people? Because that is being joined with him in his sufferings. That is the heart of the Lord has now become your heart and you carry the same burden that he carries. You go to a restaurant, and you're looking at people through the eyes of love. Somebody flips you off, and instead of looking for a reason to retaliate, your heart is broken because, Father, they're an orphan, and they don't realize the price that has been paid for them. This isn't about us trying to um, just see people differently. I just want to be a good person. I just want to believe the best in people. No, this is about being like Jesus. I don't want to see you better. I want to see you the way he sees you. Seeing you better could lead very quickly down the road that says, I am not going to challenge you in your lifestyle, but I, I want you to know that I'm here for you and I like you because you're a good person. That doesn't get you anywhere. That's a, a cushioned road to hell, pretty much. Oh, man. So anyways, 1 Corinthians 2. Wow. Oh. So that's where Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians. Now let's go to Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, we see a, uh, a continuation of Paul and we, and we see the the, the the character progression. I'll use that for lack of a better term. The progression of Paul to where he's in Corinth and he's preaching to the masses and he's telling them, for I decided to know nothing among you. Paul said in 1 Corinthians to verse one, right before that, he says, for I did not come to you with elegant speech and lofty wisdom. So Paul is already saying, I'm not coming to sound like the deep thinker. I'm not coming before you to try and sound like I've got it all together. I'm not trying to make this a TED Talk. I'm not trying to make this a a keys to success. I am coming to show you Jesus Christ." And him crucified, in Acts two. I'm getting to Philippians, but in Acts two, the first gospel message through the power of the Holy Spirit out of a mouth other than Jesus was proclaimed through Peter, who denied him three times and was and, and was restored through Jesus. And Peter preaches the gospel, and he starts off in the gospel by reminding people, because people showed up, Acts 2, the wind rushes in, right? The Holy Spirit moves on the place and it draws people from all over the city of Jerusalem. It says when they heard the wind, when they heard the wind, it drew them to the house. And when they got to the house, they heard people speaking in their own foreign tongues. We've been on a study of this the last couple of weeks. And so the people come, but then Peter stands up and he addresses this. Because now here are people freely coming, inquiring minds want to know. So are you living a life that people want to know how you live? So anyways, they're drawn to the house. Peter stands up and he first addresses the prophecy of, what's ex- of what they're experiencing here. Everything you experience by the Spirit of God in the church can be explained through scripture. And if it can't be, I would probably run back to the secret place and be like, Father, help me come back to the scriptures. And so Peter points them first and foremost to the scriptures. He says, Joel prophesied. And he said that when the Spirit of God comes, you know, Old men will, 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 will have dreams and visions, and, and young, young, young men will dream dreams. That's what it is. Old men will have visions, young men will dream dreams, and talks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So he says, to put it in scriptural context, that's what you're seeing here. That's what's taking place. And then he gets ready for the big, the big thing. He now starts preaching the gospel. And he shares and he talks about this man Jesus. And he addresses the miracles that these people knew him by. But he said, before even talking about who Jesus was, because talking about his miracles was not who Jesus was. Jesus was not his miracles. His miracles backed up who he was. And so when Peter addresses who Jesus is for the first time in Acts 2, he says, but this Jesus whom you crucified, he didn't say, this Jesus, whom rose from the dead. He said first, this Jesus, whom you crucified, and who was gloriously raised from the dead. So it's, it's married, death, resurrection, death and resurrection. So Peter sees this, and he, and he runs with this. And Paul, I desire to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And Paul starts there, and then Paul progresses here in Philippians chapter three. If you guys are there, say, you. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, nice, let's go. Uh, Philippians chapter three, verse seven through 11. <laughs> that was cute. Paul writes, and in in leading up to these verses, Paul speaks of his... Um, he he basically gives his uh, his resume, and he's saying, you know, I'm I'm a Pharisee among Pharisees, you know, and and I, and I know this more than anybody else. If you want the Torah, I know the Torah inside and out. I know all this stuff. I got this down. I have grown up in the temple. I know Christianity. But then in verse seven, he writes and he says, but whatever gain I had. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have what? Suffered. I have what? Suffered. Suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain who? that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now he's really starting to drop some bars right here. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then verse 10, he really brings it. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share. Everyone say share. That doesn't sound like that's a one-person thing. One person can't share nothing with nobody. But he said that I may share his what? Sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. (laughs) That I may share in his sufferings. So Paul is saying here, I want to share in the sufferings of Jesus. And how do I share in his sufferings? I become like him in his death. When was the last time you read The Passion of Jesus? I want to just encourage us as a church family, as a community to plant yourself in the gospel of John and read the last five chapters, read the last five chapters, the lead up to the passion and the passion of Jesus. The passion of Jesus is the crucifixion, his, his betrayal through his, through, through the trial leading up to him being scourged, to him being beaten to him being mocked and ridiculed, led up Golgotha, carrying a cross on his back and being nailed to that same tree. Being nailed to that same tree, hanging on that tree for what was it, nine hours? Six hours, nine hours? It wasn't a quick two-hour movie. It was hours upon hours. And Paul is saying, I want to become like him in his death. So Paul's looking at the cross and saying, I want that. Who wants that? Who wants that? That spells death. That spells death. It was so, it was, it was such a humiliating way to die that in the day and time, it was only Romans were authorized to crucify people because it was too it was too humiliating, damning and shaming in the eyes of the Jewish people. The Jewish people could not crucify because to them that was that was too far. But now you have the religious leaders when asked by Pilate and what do I do with the one who is known as the king of the Jews and they the first two words out of their mouth is crucify him. So they instantly are stepping over a line that they're wearing their hats of religion and they think they're safe. We're not the ones crucifying him. The Romans are. We're fine. How many of y'all have been betrayed? How many of y'all been betrayed? You can show me your hands. It's okay. <laughs> How many of y'all have been betrayed before? Okay. How many of y'all have been betrayed unto death? Clearly none of us because we're still here. But Jesus was betrayed by a close friend. I want us to think about this, the sufferings of Jesus. You may think, well, Jesus can't relate to me in any way, shape, or form. I'm going through anxiety. I'm going through depression. Well, guess what? Did you have a crown of thorns literally hammered down on your head because it was too small to fit? The Romans hammered the net. And I'm not trying to be gruesome here. This is beautiful. Okay? I just want you guys to look at this. At the time, it was horrendous and ugly. But now on this side of the cross, there is nothing more beautiful than the crucified lamb. Because when you look at the crucified lamb, you see your sin upon that cross. And you see that this is the life that I was called to live. Every single Christian, when you say, Jesus, you have my life, you have everything, he gives you not a crown. He doesn't give you white robes. He doesn't give you the latest and greatest teaching series. He gives you a cross. He gives you a cross. A man of God once said that in the heavenly procession, when we enter heaven and Jesus returns, and we with this as the saints get to march in to heaven with our bridegroom leading the way. The uniform that we wear is the cross. The uniform that you wear is the cross. Because the power is in what happened on the cross. The blood was spilt because of the cross. He was poured out because of the cross. I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record, but I'm not sorry. Because this is, I'm not not telling you all something that I have perfectly lived out either. I'm speaking to myself just as much as any of us. And it's that Lord, as Paul said, I desire to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. May I see what I'm saying. And then I'm saying, Lord, I want to know you, so give me the cross. That's what you're saying. You're giving the Lord permission. Because the front of the hoodie says Christ crucified. And the back of the hoodie says what? Living unto Jesus. Jesus. How do you live unto Jesus? You carry a cross. You carry a cross. And it will not hurt anywhere near as bad as it hurt Jesus to carry the cross. Because when Jesus carried the cross, my Bible tells me that he was whipped 39 lashes by a cat and nine tails. What is that? It was leather straps that at the ends of them, they had, they had bone, metal, and glass tied into the leather. And then the Roman soldiers would take it and they would thrash their, they would thrash their backs and they would whip them recklessly. To them, it was sport. To the Romans, it was, it was a form of competition. They were trying to outdo each other and Jesus was their punching bag. And so they would whip him, 39 lashes. By that time, there is no flesh on his back anymore. You're talking skin and, or you're you're, you're talking muscle and bone. And then imagine taking a wooden beam that is not (laughs) treated wood, and it's rubbing back and forth on his back, up and down because he's carrying this cross and he carries it from the outer courts of Pilate's courtyard all the way down the Via Della Rosa up to Golgotha which is known as the place of the skull and Jesus carries this but how, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm gonna narrow this down a little bit so for how do you be joined with Jesus in his sufferings? Well there's a beautiful example of this in scripture and I want us to take a look at this and it's relieving Jesus of his pain. What does this look like? Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. You guys hanging with me? Okay. You guys still love me? Okay. I don't care if you love me or not. I care that Jesus does. (laughs) But it's nice to know, so that's cool. Mark chapter 15, we're going to be reading in verse 21 and 22. So Jesus, this is... At the moment, Jesus is carrying the cross. He's got the beam strapped to his back, and he's carrying this cross. How many of you guys have ever seen The Passion of the Christ? Okay. For those of you who have not seen it, go watch it. I don't care if you have to tape your eyelids open. Go and watch it. That movie came out in what, 2005? 2005? Yeah, my film, my film guy over here, Russ, he got me. The Passion of the Christ, when that movie came out, it was ridiculed by film critics for being too gruesome. And yet in Isaiah 53, once again prophesied that he was beat beyond human semblance or human recognition. People could not, it wasn't that they couldn't tell he was Jesus. It was that they couldn't even tell he was a man because he was so disfigured. And so the passion of Christ does not even come close, but it's the closest representation that we do have. And it hurts to watch. I bawl my eyes out every time. But I want to challenge you. If you have not seen it, go and see it and thank him for the cross. Thank him for the cross. But how do we relieve, how how do we become like Jesus, being joined with him and relieving him of his pain? Well, in Mark chapter 15, verse 21 and 22, He's. We, we, we get this picture. So Jesus is, is, is carrying the cross, and this is in verse 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. So Jesus is carrying the cross. All right, I want us to picture this. And I don't care if you have to close your eyes. I know it's the Lord probably revealing something to you, so close your eyes if you need to. But if not, keep them them fixed. Or don't look at me, look at the cross. And uh, so as Jesus is carrying the cross to his death, like imagine this, you're not just dying, but you're given the tools for your death and you're told to carry them. Let me put it in today's perspective. Say you're in a foreign land, you're preaching the gospel. And a tribe that hates that you're preaching the gospel comes out of nowhere. They give you, they tell you, we're going to shoot you in the head on that mountaintop. And here's the AR that we're going to do it with. I want you to carry this up to that. And we'll be there in a second. That's basically what Jesus is doing. He's carrying the very tool used to kill him up to where he's going. But he embraced that cross. I love it said that when Jesus was whipped, that he was chained to the whipping post, but Michael Koulianos, he said this one time, he said, you didn't even have to chain him. He would have held on just for you. He would have gripped so much so that where his fingers would have begun to tear into that wood because he saw every single face of every human being that ever existed flashing before his eyes. But Jesus is carrying the cross. And I can imagine at this point, as he's carrying it, he's getting tired, if not already exhausted your lungs are filling with fluid you're dripping blood everywhere you barely have skin you're carrying a cross you have saliva from those that have spit in your face and you're covered from head to toe your eyes are swollen shut because you've been punched in the face one too many times and this is the king this is our king his beard ripped, torn straight out of his face. And if you dads in here that have kids that tugged on your beard and you're like, ow, you know, we're talking full blown, tear it out. And this Jesus is carrying it. And the Romans, <laughs> at least they have <laughs> some level of compassion in them to see that he's getting tired. Or they're also like, my shift is about to be up. So I need to hurry this along. And they pull this guy out of the crowd, Simon. Who's... Simon probably has no idea what's going on. He's probably just coming back from the market with his two sons, just walking on his way to go home. And then they see this crowd of people, and they're like, what's going on? And next thing they know, they see this this, this image that looks like it could be a man, and it's carrying this wood beam. People are screaming, shouting, kicking up dust, throwing rocks at him. And the Romans see Simon, and it says, hey, you. Hey, come here, you're gonna carry this. Whoa, man, hey, I was just grabbing groceries. I I got my two sons here, I need to be a father to them. I need to take, and no, 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 no. You don't have a right, you get to come. When the Romans said you do something, you got to do that. And so they're exercising their power and Simon steps in and he takes the cross upon his back. This cross that is now soaked in blood. Simon now has the blood of the Savior on his own back. And he's carrying this cross. And he helps him carry this cross. This man who had no idea what he was doing, he didn't even know who Jesus was probably, but he's helping him carry this cross. In the eyes of Simon, he's probably thinking this man deserves what he's being given. Because only people that were crucified in those days were people that deserved it but this man, so he must deserve it. But I have this thought that potentially as Simon carries that cross every step of the way, and as he looks into the eyes of the one who's next to him, the savior of the world, who at the very same time is holding the stars in motion and is carrying a cross with his eyes beat shut. And I'm sure that Simon, as he looked over and he saw this crown of thorns dripping with blood, he recognized this man is different. This man doesn't deserve this. And little did he know, he was relieving Jesus of some of the pain that he had to bear. My prayer is that each and every one of us in here would become like a Simon of Cyrene, that we would find a way. Simon did it unknowingly, but I pray that we would do it knowingly, that we would look for ways to ease the pain of his sufferings even today, that when we've been hearing testimonies from Gary and John of going out and and preaching the gospel and loving on people, and not everyone receives Jesus. But for those that say no, instead of being like, well, I tried, our heart breaks. And we're joined with him in that suffering because that hurts the heart of the Lord. But we're not broken because we're mad at them. We're broken because we're hurting for them. If only you knew. If only you knew what happened on an afternoon in Israel 2,000 years ago, where God himself had flesh on his body, and it was viciously ripped apart, and he hung there on a cross because he wanted to, because he needed to, because he saw us and said, no matter how high the cost, the Lord already had that prayer. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's the call of Jesus. And let me tell you right now, a little side note, when you minister to Jesus and you help relieve his sufferings, last week we talked about prodigals coming home. If you're believing, For your kids to serve the Lord, look for a way to ease the burdens of Jesus, to be joined with him in his sufferings. Because look at this, all right? In Mark 15, Simon of Cyrene, he had two sons. He had Alexander and Rufus, okay? He carries the cross and he eases the burdens of Jesus. And in Romans chapter 16, verse 13, Paul is addressing, I'm just going to turn there real quick. Everybody, yeah, just turn there real quick. Romans chapter 16, verse, yeah, remix. Sorry, right. y'all can laugh in church. It's okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> See, I don't want us to lose fact of this is wonderful. It's heavy, but it's wonderful. It's wonderful. So in Romans chapter 16, Paul is giving his greeting his greetings and he's listing names of people and look here in Romans chapter 16 verse 13 what does he say he says greet Rufus chosen in the Lord also his mother who has been a mother to me as well some theologians believe this to be the same Rufus that was son of Simon of Cyrene The same Simon that carried the cross of the Lord. And now, years later, his son is one of the first missionaries to preach the gospel. Think about that. So parents, those of you that have wayward children, as you ease the sufferings and the burdens of Jesus, your kids are seeing that. And your desire to ease the burdens of the Lord now becomes your kid's burden. Your kid now wants to ease the burden of the Lord. We don't hear about Alexander, but we hear about Rufus. And he's one of the first to preach the gospel as a missionary. Paul says, hey Rufus, how I wish I could have had a dad like yours. Because your dad carried the cross of the savior of the world on his back. And he didn't even know it. But now look at you, you're preaching the gospel of that same man. Jesus Christ to the four corners of the world. So take hope this morning. Take hope this morning. How can I have fellowship with Jesus in His sufferings? You have, you you, you help, the, the fellowship of His sufferings, they mean this, and I'm just gonna blaze right through this, because I know we're running short on time. Can I have just like five more minutes? <laughs> I've always wanted to say that. Like as a pastor, they're always like, can I have five more minutes? And people are like, yeah. But in your mind, you're like, no, because you're going to take 10. (laughs) But anyways, just a PK thing, I guess. I grew up in it. Anyways, um, what does it mean? The fellowship of his sufferings means this, to become one with and experience the sufferings of Jesus. The word fellowship, according to Merriam-Webster, shout out to Google, said it means companionship and company. It means companionship. That sounds like marriage. Well, I just want to see if they're a good companion, if we're compatible. You know, Jesus looked at you and said, you are, you, you are compatible. Yes. And when you said yes to Jesus, you married him. Yes. You married him. <laughs> we married Jesus. If you're a dude, don't think that's weird. That's beautiful. <laughs> we married Jesus. Yep. And so now we have fellowship with him. We have companionship with him in his sufferings Jesus your heart is broken break my heart for what breaks your heart may I laugh at what you laugh at may I take joy in what brings you joy may I become like you with what you're feeling I pray that we would be so in tune with Jesus to where we know instantly that brought him joy you can walk away from a service like this any day, and if you weren't aware of it, you would just be like, man, that was a great service. But then you get home and the Lord's like, mm, not to me. To you, that was good. How many services happened where there was flesh involved? Where there was, you get up and you have a great worship moment, and you're like, man, I just, I brought it, you know? And you were aware of how good you did. <laughs> Red flag. The Lord, that probably didn't please the Lord. It pleased you. But when we create environments and places where we say, God, may I disappear. May I become invisible in the sight of those that are here. We come early every, every Sunday morning at 7.30 and we pray, God, manifest yourself to every person that comes in this room. I pray, Lord, that the, these seats are anointed. These seats are anointed and we thank you, God, that what happens in here, Lord, that it flows under that car park and it goes into that next building and it flows from the balcony down in it and it it, immerses Central Cristiano to where everyone knows the king is here. The king is here. And we're a people that don't just want him to do miracles, but we want to be like, Lord, what are you feeling? What are you feeling? If you're feeling happy, may it be felt. If you're feeling sad, let us know. We want to be those people that if there's anything on your heart that is bothering you, you look at us and you say, I want to talk to those people at Vision because they value my heart and they want to they want to share this with me. They want to share this with me. We've been invited into this. And so I just want to make sure that I got everything. I'll just say this one last thing, and then I'll close. That when you seek Jesus for His miracles, you're no different than Herod. <laughs> I'll drop the mic. Um, when you seek Jesus for His miracles, you're no different than Herod. What does that mean? I'll explain just real briefly. Herod was a king; he was the king of Israel at the time that Jesus was being crucified. Because they wanted to crucify him, they took him to Pilate. Pilate was the governor, the Roman governor of the region. And so they had to go to Pilate. Pilate was basically the one that had the say, the say of whether or not they could condemn Jesus to death. But Pilate sees Jesus, and he's like, oh, wait a second. He's not under my jurisdiction. Take him to your king. And so they took him to Herod. And they bring him before Herod. And Herod, in Luke chapter 23, verse six, I'm just gonna read this. Luke chapter 23, they bring Jesus before Herod. And this is Herod's response when he sees Jesus. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. Herod was excited to see Jesus for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. But this is the catch. And he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. Why? Jesus knew, you don't care about who I am. You care about what I can do for you. You care about... Your. Jesus has already been beaten up. He hasn't been been whipped yet, but he's been beat to a pulp, spat in the face of. So he's already standing there a little bit disfigured in front of Herod. And Herod has the audacity to say, hey, Jesus, I want to see a sign by you. you I'm a king. Will you not, you're a king. Will you not do a little, just a small little sign and wonder for me? And Jesus stands there silently, with eyes full of love, and I believe Jesus was thinking this: "I love you too much to show you a miracle. I love you too much to show you a miracle, because the miracle's for you." And so far, far, far be it from us that we should ever be like Jesus. Will you come and do a miracle for me? And Jesus is standing there with holes in his hands and holes in his feet. We come because we want him. And that's, that's something that I love that this house, we drive home so, so hard. Paul says in the, in the epistles, he's like, I've told you this a thousand times and I'll tell you this a thousand more times. Praise be to Jesus. Look at Jesus. If you want miracles, look at Jesus. If you want to see angels, look at Jesus. If you want breakthrough in your life, guess what? Look at Jesus. And once breakthrough has come, keep looking at Jesus. Don't come to Jesus because you need Him. Come to Him because you want Him. And as you come to Him because you want Him, you become desperate for Him. And when you're desperate for Him, it's a lifestyle that says, I can't even breathe if it's not with you on my mind. Because without you, there's no reason for breathing. Without you, there's no reason for living. Paul saw this. Paul said, join me with Jesus. When Peter was captured and he was martyred, this same Peter, the same Peter that denied Jesus three times, the Romans were, that he was captured and he was going to be crucified. And Peter was so full of the fear of the Lord that he said, you can crucify me, but crucify me upside down because that is too holy. To Peter, the cross was too holy. May it become holy to us. So can we stand this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This isn't a message that I feel like requires an altar call where we call out specific people, but instead I really feel like this is a message that God Do it in all of us. Do it in all of us. Do it in the one who's been saved for two hours. Do it in the one who's been saved for two years. Do it in the one who's been doing this thing for 20 plus years, God. Do it in us. Do it in us. Because Paul, he started and he said, I want to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he progressed down this path of saying I count everything I have ever done in my life as nothing compared to knowing him becoming like him in his death and so we just believe right now that the Holy Spirit would touch your heart that he would soften you to the things of the cross and that the cross would become more beautiful than anything you have ever seen before. Because Jesus still wears a body today. Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father, he still wears a body and he has holes in his hands and in his feet. And when he revealed himself to the disciples in the upper room, the first thing he did was he said, peace be with you. And then it said that he showed them his holes in his hands and his holes in his feet and the hole in his side. Jesus kept the scars because he wanted to remind us, hey, this is the Christian life. This is the Christian life that you'd be joined with me in this, but it's so that you would experience a resurrection like me. And so, Father, right now, I just pray over every person in this place, Father, myself included, Lord, that you would pierce our hearts with beautiful first love for Jesus. Lord, that we would take on a bridal attitude toward the Lord, an attitude that says, Lord, if you if you are hurting or if you are suffering or if you're sorrowful in any way, God, if the sins of humanity have hurt you, God, I pray, Lord, that I would hurt just like you hurt. Lord, that I would carry the burdens for humanity, God, just as you carry the burdens for humanity. It's not just because you're God, but it's because you long to have us joined with you. You long to have us with you on these things. If you didn't care about us being joined with you in things, you would have never called it the great commission. Come and go with me. And so, Father, I just thank you, Lord, that we would be joined with you in your sufferings. And yeah, it's a scary prayer to pray, but God, if it means our flesh completely drying up and dying, so be it. So be it. Lord, that this would be a house full of dead people. People that are dead to their own desires, dead to their own agendas, dead to their own lifestyles. And instead, we are alive unto Jesus. And we say, Father, nothing that happens to me in life is an inconvenience, but rather it's an opportunity for me to manifest my King. So I thank you, Father, Father, I pray right now, Lord, for your fire to fall on every person in here, to hit every person in here, that we would be consumed with love and that we would be consumed with one topic, Jesus Christ and him crucified. In Jesus' name. And if you believe us, say amen. Amen. Well, can we just give Jesus praise? Give Jesus praise. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. No, just a little bit. Just a little bit more. Just give Jesus more praise. Thank you, Jesus.